2 Samuel, and uh, on the conclusion of our Bible study tonight, we will uh, go to the Lord's table. But if you're visiting with us tonight, we've been doing a series. Uh, we actually started this last year, and if I took one week for every book of the Bible, there are 66 books, uh, we would be 66 weeks, that'd be well over a year, we were able to combine a few of the smaller ones. We may get into some uh, combinations when we get into some of the uh, uh, other books in the latter part of the Old Testament. We'll see how that goes, but I always try to do justice to the Word of God. I don't want to skip over, and I try to share what the Lord lays on my heart, and I realize, listen, if you were up here, you probably would share maybe different things. There's so many things, and so tonight, we're, we started last week with 1 Samuel. Tonight we're in 2 Samuel. Of course, you can see the books on the shelf there. Again, the Old Testament books were in that section of books that are blue, light blue, and these are the books that deal with the history of the nation of Israel. And of course, Israel is God's chosen people, and we're making our way through this historical section. Of course, next week we'll move into 1 Kings. And so if you notice there and you grabbed a copy of the outline uh, tonight, anybody got in here, did not get a copy of the outline Raise your hand, we'll get you a copy, make sure that we got everybody. It looks like everybody did a great job. And so as we get started, what I try to do every week is give a title to each one of these studies just to help you be familiar with it. Second Samuel is the book of God's King. Now, if you remember what First Samuel was, it was the book of, anybody remember? It was the book of the people's king, right? The king that man wanted remember they wanted to be just like all the other nations and remember that God's heart has always been by the way it still is that he just wants to be God in our lives there shall be no other gods before me and yet what does man always want man wants his way he does everything that is right in his own eyes and I love how you get from first Samuel the book of the people's king to second Samuel which is the book of God's king. And of course, really, you're moving from the kingdom of Saul, which was the king appointed, and then you move tonight to our study, which we set that up at the end of last week, which is the reign of David. And the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. Now, all of us know from studying the Bible, and we'll conclude our study tonight with this thought is David was just like all of us. David was a man that made some mistakes in his life, but I love the fact that David had the right kind of heart to get right with God. Aren't you glad God gives us another opportunity? God gives us a chance to repent of our sins, and certainly we see that in the life of David. Now, the name, this, some of this parallels what we saw last week. The word Samuel means heard of God, and the book of Samuel, which is First and Second Samuel, actually form but one in what is known as the Hebrew canon. And of course, you understand that God gave the Old Testament in the Masoretic text of the Hebrew. So when you look at their canon, it, it, it again doesn't necessarily, it wouldn't look per se the way ours is laid out. So you would see this as one book in the Hebrew canon, meaning the book of Samuel, but we see it in our Bible as First and Second Samuel. Now, both of them contain a history of the life of Samuel, and all that involved in his life, and so that's probably Samuel calling right now. And so notice how this book is connected to the preceding book, okay? So think about this. Second Samuel is, is simply this. It's a continuation 
of 1 Samuel. It, it picks up right where uh, 1 Samuel left off. Now, if you have your Bible, before we go to this chart, I want you to uh, turn with me to first Sa- or 2 Samuel chapter 1, and I want you to see, notice in chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass, after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days at Ziklag, it came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and the earth upon his head, and so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and he did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And he begins to tell how uh, Saul and, of course, Saul's son Jonathan, how that their lives were taken in the battle. Now notice if you drop down to verse number, uh, verse number 10, as this messenger is reporting to David, verse number 10, so I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen, talking about Saul, and I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was upon his, uh, on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took hold of, on his clothes and he rent them and likewise all the men that were with him and they mourned and wept and fasted until even. Notice these words, for Saul. Remember how Saul had tried many times to take David's life. And yet not only Saul, not only David, but the men that were with David, they mourned, look at it, for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. So, 2 Samuel picks right up, it's a continuation of 1 Samuel. Now if you look at this chart that we have here, and Ernie will hopefully be able to uh, blow it up here a little bit to help us out, but if you look at this chart, you see how it begins with David's triumphs, the, the wonderful things going on in the first four chapters of David's life. Notice that it's really kind of divided. At first, David was reigning in Hebron. And while he was there, you see David, of course, his lament of, over Saul's death and some other things. David is then crowned in chapter 2 and so on. Then notice that the headquarters, so to speak, was moved from Hebron to Jerusalem. Jerusalem now being the new capital, a new worship center. And of course, that is still the case today. We see some other things taking place. And then when you look into the next section, if you move over a little bit, notice That was his triumphs, but then we see David's troubles. And three ways that David had to deal with some difficulties. Notice it, first of all, begins with David's troubles with himself. All of us struggle from time to time. And you know, sometimes we are our greatest enemy. And David struggled in his life. And notice here, David's sin, of course, with Bathsheba. and, And David shouldn't have stayed. He shouldn't have tarried behind, but yet he did. And, of course, we see that he was struggling within himself. Then notice also he had troubles with his family. Anybody ever had family troubles? I don't think anybody in here has ever had family troubles. 
Uh, families are great. Uh, but David had problems from time to time with his family. And of course, you probably have read, maybe you've read through 2 Samuel, uh, dealing with Amnon and Absalom. And, uh, you know, again, it, it, I've never had sons, but this, this book right here maybe is a good indication, Rogan, not to have boys. I don't know. But uh, we see here some of the troubles that he had with his family. And then notice he also had some troubles with his nation. And uh, you're going to find that not everybody's always going to agree with everything you do. And David had certainly had his troubles there, and we see that uh, David dealt with a few things there in those chapters 19 and 20. The end of the book is really kind of an appendix, and it's some things that the book ends with. Of course, the Bible indicates there was a famine, and a there's actually a song of David. Of course, we know that he's the sweet psalmist of Israel, and then you see uh, prophecy there at the end, and then, of course, uh, the failure of David, and we'll look at that at the very end. But again, it's the way the book's put together, I think it's wonderful. Now, I don't know if you could pick this up. There's right below that, it says theme, and I want you to see on your paper, it says blessings or consequences follow every action. Do you see that there? And that is so true in our lives today. The wages of sin. There's always going to be a blessing or a consequence depending on what we do. And I hope that you've decided in your life, look, we all make mistakes from time to time, but God wants us to live the blessed life. God doesn't want us to have to suffer the consequences, and the reason that happens is because of sin. And certainly many of us have experienced that, and so keep that in mind as you think about the book of 2 Samuel, the life of David. Notice as you look at the contents, it's an account of the happy commencement, the beginning of David's reign. And, of course, also the unhappy fall and the miserable consequences. And then David's restoration to divine favor with God. And, of course, we see that the, the reestablishment of his kingdom towards the end and the events in the latter part of his kingdom. So a lot going on in just uh, 20, uh, 24 short chapters. But the book in character, just like all those we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, is it is a historical book in this section. The subject of the book of 2 Samuel deals, I mentioned, with God's blessings upon Israel, and God always wants to work through individuals. In this book, it's through the reign of David. So in your life, understand, you may never be the king of a nation, but God still wants to use you. He wants to bless others through you. And we still see that today, God blessing his people in this book through the reign of David. The purpose of the book for us is to reveal typically the blessings and the rule of Christ over us. We who are in Christ, and notice how we also see that eventually uh, it, was, it was Christ's rule over Israel and the other nations, and some of that is yet future in the days to come. We understand that as we study the Word of God. The outline is real simple, three parts kind of follows a little bit of what we already looked at. The first section deals with the triumphs of David, and you can see the things that he dealt with there with Abner and with Ishbosheth and some other enemies. And then the troubles of David and what caused some of those, what were some of the results. Hey, when I think about some of those uh, troubles that David had, if I, could, if I could just categorize them, I would say some of them were domestic troubles, some of them were public troubles that David had, and then uh, you remember the revolt, the rebellion of his son Absalom and how David had to deal with that. Of course, that's a difficult 
even when he heard about the death of his son, David really poured his heart out because of what had happened in the life of his son. And so the troubles of David, and then the book ends, the last four chapters, dealing with the throne of David being restored. And you can see again him returning to Jerusalem, the punishment uh, of Saul's sins, and of course some other things, David's last words. And, uh, and so that just gives you a little bit of an outline, maybe it'll help you as you're reading through this book in the future. Now the scope of the book just kind of help us to understand, again, it contains a history of about 40 years. And this would be a beginning from the death of Saul that we just read to the near the close of David's reign as the king of the people of Israel. And so the writer, I mentioned this last week, kind of follows what we saw in 1 Samuel. It was probably written by Samuel. Also, there's mention of Nathan and Gad. The Bible mentions in 1 Chronicles 29, 29, the acts of David the king, first and last. Behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer. Of course, uh, seer is just another title, another synonymous word of those that, uh, that, that had a position that God was able to show them some things. And then it says, and in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer. So we find that these two individuals may have had a part in some of the writing, the latter end of 2 Samuel. It was written probably around 10, 11 to 971. Of course, this is B.C. time before Christ. We see it heading closer to the, the, the birth of Christ, but this was certainly written during the reign of David, somewhere in the land of Israel. And of course, uh, sometimes people make reference to Palestine, and they're referring to the same thing, the land of Israel. The key chapter would be chapter 5, and this is where God then uh, brings David in. David becomes a, a, the king over Israel. Remember, before this time, David had already been anointed, but Saul was still the king, and so until it was God's timing, even in David's life, uh, everything happens in God's timing. The key verse we find in chapter number 5, in verse number 12, I love this verse here. Look at it. David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. That's a great thought right there. David understood this was the Lord's doing, and in his heart it was marvelous that God was giving him the privilege, the honor. Hey, look, every time I stand behind this sacred desk, I feel the same way. Uh, God could have put anybody here, and I certainly am not worthy, but I love the fact that God's given me an opportunity and I want to be a blessing and a help as God was using David also to establish his people's uh, situation, the kingdom that God had given to, to him. And so the key word goes along with that is the word king. David becomes king, and the phrase that we see mentioned in 2 Samuel 6, 17 is before the Lord, before the Lord. They brought in the ark of the Lord, and they set it in his place. And of course, God had a specific order for that ark, and it says in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and here it is, before the Lord. Remember how Saul had tried to do some things that was not his place, and how upset uh, there were Samuel and others were that he did what he did? David was trying to do things God's way. And the Bible says that he set this up, he offered burnt offerings, peace offerings, 
before the Lord. Now the key thought mentioned a couple times tonight is the reign of David. All of this revolves around David's time in the kingdom. The spiritual thought we see for 2 Samuel is the call of David as God's anointed. And certainly God's hand was upon David as God's anointed. A couple things that I saw, and they really revolve around one individual. And of course, I've never in my life ever met someone named Mephibosheth. Anybody ever met a Mephibosheth? And it's kind of interesting, but uh, it's a neat name. I'm sure nowadays if somebody got named their child that, they would probably go by something shorter than Mephibosheth, but it's kind of a unique name. Now, notice uh, what I see that is unique is Mephibosheth's condition that we see. Now, as you look at his life and his condition, it really kind of gives us a parallel to the need of every one of us as sinners. And we look at his life, we see his condition. And of course, if you're wondering who Mephibosheth is, this would be the five-year-old son of Jonathan. And of course, remember how Jonathan and David were friends. Matter of fact, the Bible says that their hearts were knit together. Now remember this, that Jonathan was the son of Saul. And Jonathan was one that was a friend to David when Saul, of course, was not being friendly to him. But David and Jonathan developed quite the friendship. And we find that in, in time, as David then, of course, starts his reign as king, David finds out about Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And he's a great picture here of the condition of the sinner, the need that everyone needs in their lives. Because notice three things. He was fearful, and we see that indicated because he was being hidden from the king. And oftentimes, you see, that's what happens is we allow fear to, to hinder us, to cause us to hide, to not do what God would have us to do. And so we see him being fearful. Then we see also in his condition, he was destitute. The Bible says about Mephibosheth that he was in the house of Mature. Now, Mature actually means sold in sin. He was in this house of Mature in, a, in the place called Lodibar. And so he was destitute. He was, he was in a position where he was sold into sin. What does the Bible say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every last one of us, there's none good. No, not one. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. So when we look at Mephibosheth's life, his condition, what do we see? He was fearful. He was destitute. Notice also he was helpless. The Bible says of Mephibosheth, that he was lame on both feet. And you know that's the way you and I are. Every person that's ever been born, we cannot come to God on our own. There's no way that you and I can save ourselves. Matter of fact, when you see the word save or salvation in the Bible, it's always used in, in the fact that it, it is the subject, that would be the sinner, being acted upon instead of the subject doing the action. In other words, I can't save myself. The only way a person can be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. So Mephibosheth's condition, and by the way, if you know somebody tonight that is lost in their sin, the reason that they're lost is because they're fearful, they're destitute, 
They're helpless. They can do nothing to get out of their situation other than reach out by faith and cry out to a holy God who will save them from their sins. I think it's a beautiful, unique part of that book. Now, if, as we think about Mephibosheth, then I want you to give you a second part because, again, that might sound kind of uh, uh, disturbing, but yet it is a, a fact that we're all sinners and we all need to be saved. But notice also Mephibosheth's confidence because, yes, he had the condition of a sinner, but I see his confidence. And notice five ways that we see that. Notice number one, he believed the message and he answered David's call. He believed, and listen, if we're going to be saved, then we have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so understand that the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, for whosoever believeth on him, listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not, be, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the, the whole idea there is we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, put our faith in him, and I love his confidence. He believed the message. He answered David's call. Then notice, what did he do next? He humbled himself. If you look there in chapter number nine, the Bible says this, that he fell on his face and he did reverence. He actually confessed, think about this, that he was a dead dog. That's how he viewed himself. Humbly, he understood what he was before a holy God. And all of us must get to the place where we realize that we are lost in sin. And so we see here that Mephibosheth believed the message, then he humbled himself. Then look at this, he was accepted. I love that. He was accepted. Listen, when we cry out to God, God doesn't turn us away. God receives us. And then notice what happened after he was accepted. I love this. He was adopted. He was adopted. We see this in chapter number 9, verse number 11. And then the best part is in chapter 9, and verse 7, he was then made an heir. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus, and we are a child of the king. And I, I, I love the thought here about Mephibosheth. He was lifted from poverty to plenty. That's the way all of us are. We mentioned that this morning. We came into this world with nothing, but listen, because he was rich, he became poor that we, through him, might be made rich. And that's exactly what happened with Mephibosheth. He became a, 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 a beneficiary of plenty through the grace of the king. And because of Jesus, guess what? Just like Mephibosheth was with David, we are accepted, we have been adopted, and we also have been made heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, unique thing we see in the life of Mephibosheth in the, the Lord Jesus Christ and, of course, in the Word of God. Now, a couple ways, or really one way out of this particular book, how Christ is magnified, is that he is magnified as David's Lord. And we see this in the uh, Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7 in verse number 8. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, look at these words, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. When you go to Psalm 110, the Bible says, The Lord said unto my Lord. Notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I 
make thine enemies thy footstool. And of course, we see Christ is the one being magnified in David's life, even in 2 Samuel, as David's Lord. And so when we get to the end of the book and we think about 2 Samuel, of course, 1 Samuel introduced us to the monarchy of Israel, but 2 Samuel actually chronicles the establishment of the Davidic dynasty, and we find the, also the expansion of Israel under God's chosen leader. When we get to this book, the book opens with David's learning of and David's lamenting of Saul and Jonathan's death. David's pouring his heart out. We just read how that he mourned. The men that were with him mourned. Notice that the Lord then after that death of Saul, the Lord sets David over the tribe of Judah and then over all Israel as God's, notice here, he is God's anointed king. And what is he to do? He is to unite all 12 tribes into one nation. Hey, listen, the devil is the one that loves to divide. But God has always wanted us to be a people that are united. One of the strong things about the church in the first century in the book of Acts is that they were in one accord. The Bible says that, that they were, there was a unity among them. And when we think about division and discord among the brethren, that is the work of the devil. And even here with the nation of Israel, God, God allows David to be anointed to be the king, and he sets him over Israel so that David would unite them. Now, we'll look here in the weeks ahead how that, that united kingdom becomes a divided kingdom. But this is what we see taking place in the ministry and the kingdom of David. Now, despite the turmoils in David's latter years, David did enjoy the Lord's forgiveness, and David did enjoy the Lord's favor in his life, and his genuine sorrow and the regret that he had over his sins actually revealed the repentant heart of David to which the Lord was well pleased with David's repentance. And listen, folks, if there is sin in our lives, there must always be repentance before we're made right with God. Now, I want you to take your Bibles with me tonight as we think about David's life and how David got right with the Lord. And turn with me to Psalm 51 tonight, and I want you to look at this psalm. And of course, this is one of the psalms of David. And I'm going to ask you to do something for me tonight as we prepare in just a little bit for the Lord's table. And as you turn there to Psalm 51... If you do me a favor, we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse number 17, and I'm going to ask you to read with me responsively. So what that means is I will read verse 1, then I would like all of you together to read verse 2. I will read verse 3, then all of you together read verse 4. And so we'll do that all the way down to verse number 17, which we'll all read verse 17 together, all right? So if you did not understand that, you read the even number verses, all right? So here we go, Psalm 51, and notice the heading here. This is a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Verse number one, the Bible says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness." According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Verse 17, everyone, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. I'm going to ask the men to come at this time and we'll prepare for the Lord's table. You think of that psalm, Psalm 51. David certainly, like us, David had done something that he should not have done. And when I think about the fact that we, are, we who are saved, listen to me, we who are saved does not mean that we're perfect. It's a wonderful thing to be a child of God. But when you look in the Bible and you find verses like 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says, if we confess our sins. That was written to Christians. See, we all make mistakes. And so before we take the table tonight, I want you and I to just take a moment and go to the Lord where you're at. And let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless this special, sacred time. Especially as we think about today being Palm Sunday. How Jesus, many years ago, today, rode into the city of Jerusalem. And they were crying out, Hosanna, to the king. And Jesus knew, God in the, in the flesh knew, what this week, that we will go to work, and we'll go about our business and our lives, Jesus knew what this entire week would hold for him because he was God. And as we take these elements tonight, I want you to think about the sacrifice and the willingness of God in the flesh to give his life so that we can have eternal life. I understand that this is just bread and juice tonight, but it's what it represents 
certainly as you eat the bread and you drink the juice, there's no saving power in these elements. They do not become the literal body and blood of Christ. But as you have that taste on your tongue, may it remind you of how Jesus in that upper room spent time with his disciples. And the moment that they finished that time together, the Bible says they went out and Jesus headed to his betrayal. He was arrested. He was on trial. He eventually was nailed to a cross. And yet all of that that he went through, he never did one thing wrong. Why would he do that? For God so loved the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening, for the privilege that's ours. Lord, as we think about, and may we think all week long, about what Jesus went through, maybe we'll read in the scriptures this week, the way that your son was treated. Lord, he never opened his mouth as a lamb he was led to the slaughter. He never reviled back. He never got angry. He looked to you in heaven and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so tonight, Lord, as we take of these elements, we realize, like David, God, that there is nothing special about us, that we're sinners. I pray that we in our hearts would be right with you tonight. May this be a special time for all that partake of the table. Thank you for giving us this remembrance of your death and your burial and your resurrection. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.